Hey, Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. As part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Panhandle PBS, The Bridge Children's Advocacy Center, the Amarillo Art Institute, Family Support Services, the WT Foundation, and Opportunity School. Those are all amazing organizations, and I hope you'll support them this season. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is John Harris, the chief meteorologist for KMR Local 4 News and Fox 14 News. John is a native Texan and was born in Amarillo, but mostly grew up in Enid, Oklahoma. And he didn't always want to be a meteorologist. He first intended to go into the business world, which he talks about. But then, once he got his meteorology degree, he didn't intend to do that kind of work on TV. But here we are in 2023, and John has been practicing meteorology on our television screens in this area since 1992. He did it first for KFDA News Channel 10, and now for KAMR. And everybody loves to talk about the weather here, and the current El Nino conditions could result in a wet winter and spring here in the Panhandle. People are interested in that. So I thought it was time for John to come on the show. So here's John Harris. John Harris, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I know we've been talking about having you on the show for a long time, and Mm -hmm. um, we talk about the podcast often because I'm always in studio. Every week. Uh, Yeah, every week. (laughs) um, So you're familiar with it, I know, but Mm -hmm. uh, I'm glad to actually have you on the show. Well, I'm sorry that uh, you had a lull in all of your really interesting guests that you talked to and decided to put me on. Decided to put you on just to fill a gap. I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, people need sleep, though. I don't know. People (laughs) seem interested in the weather here, so maybe this will keep their attention. Well, (laughs) Uh, um, So I want to start with you the same way I start with every guest, and that's just to ask you why you're here in Amarillo. So what brought you to this area? Okay. Well, I was born... Born in Amarillo back in 1962 at the old Northwest Hospital, and I've always had family in this part of the world. And after I graduated uh, college up at Metropolitan State College of Denver at the time, now it's Metropolitan State University, back in 1992, I was waiting to get on with the National Weather Service. And back then, it was through snail mail. They did not have the internet set up Mm -hmm. where you could get on and do what you needed to. So I was out of money. My mother and dad had moved back to Amarillo, and so I gathered all of my belongings up in Denver and brought them to mom and dad's house. And I was going to use this as home base until I got with the weather service. And I just happened to be sitting there at the house one day and happened to see this one guy on TV talking about his rain gauge by a tower out mm-hmm. north of Amarillo. And I had not grown up in Amarillo, so I was not familiar with anything in this, in this town, in this city. But through dead reckoning, uh, because I knew there was a tall tower yeah. out north of town, that's how I ended up at that first place I went to work. Okay. At KFDA. KFDA. And that yeah. guy was Doppler Dave? Doppler Dave Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you were born in Amarillo. Where did you grow yes. up, though? I grew up in Enid, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, my dad was in the grain industry. And so we moved from Amarillo to Minneapolis. He worked for General Mills for three years. And then from General Mills in Minneapolis, we moved to Enid. So that's where I grew up and went from kindergarten all the way through high school. Okay. And then uh, my dad had told myself and my two older sisters that he would pay for our college if all three of us would get business degrees. And so we all three ended up down at Southwestern Oklahoma State University at Weatherford. And I received a marketing degree, and I graduated in 1985 okay. with my degree in marketing. And technically, was that okay with your dad? That was fine you know, with him. Was close enough to business. It, it, it was. It was a business degree, right. and it was very versatile. So he knew that I'd be able, be able to get a job somewhere doing something with marketing, which I ultimately did. Sure, uh, twice. Uh, once actually doing my marketing profession, and then also being on TV because I'm marketing myself every single day when I'm when I'm on air. But um, grew up in Enid. I. I loved weather, uh, but when I was young, I was afraid of the weather because a lot of the storms that we'd get by the time they hit that part of the state would be at night. Mm-hmm. So you'd hear the lightning, you'd hear the thunder, you'd see the trees being whipped around by the wind. And so I'm thinking to myself, we're we about to have a tornado. And so when I was young, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, I used to jump in bed with my mom and dad at yeah. night. And then as I got older, it's like, no, I want to learn about this stuff. This is so cool. I love this. This is so neat. But again, the assurity on my dad's side was to make sure his yeah. son received a college education, he's going to get a business degree. So meteorology had to wait a little bit longer. Okay. Is, is that a common story for people in your industry? 
that they were afraid of weather. And then that's why they they kind of started learning more about it is. I think so. I think it has a lot with where you grow up. I mean, mm-hmm. growing up in Oklahoma was in the center of yeah. Tornado Alley. And and the uh, the town I grew up in, Enid, Oklahoma, was, I, I kid you not, we would have a tornado warning out for Garfield County every single year. Now, there may not be a tornado that comes down, but mm-hmm. we'd have to take cover. And so that played on my mind as a young person. Yeah. And so that's where some of that fear came from. But at the same time, that stoked the fire to get me really wanting to do weather for a living. I, I mean, I have a similar story. Like, I'm not a weather mm-hmm. guy, but I'm fascinated with the weather. And I was afraid of thunderstorms as a kid. Like, uh-huh. the, the two questions I asked my parents before I went to sleep every night was, number one, what's for breakfast? And number two, <laughs> are we going to have thunder tonight? Because mm-hmm. I was afraid of that. Right. And right. grew up into a person who's like, tornado warning, and I run outside so I can try to see it. Like, I'm just fascinated with that. I, yeah. I bet that's pretty common, though. That's Absolutely. It, I mean, that's what the sirens that. are for, so they alert you. You can go outside and look at the yeah, tornado. Yeah, look at it. <laughs> uh, no, I think it is very common. Um, uh, my other love, I had two loves when I was young in Enid. Uh, there's an Air Force base there, kind of mm-hmm. like Cannon Air Force Base. We have a training base in Enid, and we lived on the approach path of a jet uh, trainers every single oh, okay. day. And so aviation was also toward the center of my soul. Right. So weather and aviation. So you're plane spotting and absolutely. Spotting. I, I am a, an aviation enthusiast. Cool. Um, I was actually in the process of trying to get my pilot's license to be a glider pilot. We flew out of Panhandle mm-hmm. and then 9-11 happened oh, and wow. a young lady named Kristen Harris came along. Kristen said, I want you to be around for your family. <laughs> I said, but honey. Less gliding. Less gliding. I know I've got to land somewhere, so yeah. I, I'm going to make sure that aircraft stays aloft until we get to the airport. But uh, 9-11 pretty much put an end to all of it because general aviation all of a sudden had to go through so many hoops. Yeah, for sure. And so that that took care of it. So this was all back in the 90s. And uh, then after that, we were done with that. And then also, Chris and I were married in 2000. Okay. And so, uh, you know, but I, I still love aviation. Tell me how you made that transition from uh, the marketing plan <laughs> to TV weather. Okay. Uh, after I graduated from uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University, I was hired on by ConAgra Flour Milling Industry up in Commerce City, Colorado. They're part of the ConAgra Industries, which is a umbrella that has a lot of different yeah, products. Yeah, it's huge. Huge. They're out of Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, so I was hired on up at, uh, up at ConAgra in Commerce City, and I became what was known as the plant scheduler. Basically, the, the mill would run 24-7. Uh, we'd be down on Sunday, so it'd be almost seven days, 24-6, I guess. Mm-hmm. We'd be down on Sunday so they could do maintenance on the mill, but we would run different blends of flour on the mill. And so my job was to, according to the, the, the specs for the customers, what types of blends we needed and what type of wheat to come up with a baker's flour. Okay. Intamin's royal wheat, which was high gluten. Yeah. Or an export flour. I don't or think about any of that flour. stuff at all, that there's differences in flour. Oh, yeah. yeah there is. So there's, all purpose for yeah. King Supers, which is the huge grocery store, mm-hmm. part of Kroger's, up in the Denver area. So we would ship flour out to local markets plus to the West Coast. Uh, to Salt Lake City, to Missouri, uh, down Tamarill. We, we build affiliated food, all-purpose bags all the time. Okay. And so my job was to basically, through logistics, I guess, really is what it was, was to make sure we had time of the day to get the orders out for the people, for the different uh, customers. Mm-hmm. And they you know they always want it yesterday. And yeah. so you'd have Intamin's oral wheat from... Uh, from Phoenix saying, we need this order yesterday. Can you get me 16 pallets of such and such and such and get it on the truck? I said, well, we have to build it first. We have to make it. So we'd always have to hopefully have the warehouse full of product, mm-hmm. ready to go, but then we're constantly running that mill to update right. that product. And so that was my job, plant scheduler. Okay. And then this happened on uh, June the 18th of 19, or June the 15th, one of the two days, 1988, we had three tornadoes that came down on the east side of Denver. We had one toward Commerce City, one out by Stapleton International, that's for DIA was there, and then one down by Evanston and uh, Broadway, which is okay. down south. Yeah. And uh, flour mill is about eight stories high. And so the building where I worked was here, but we had the flour mill here. So I went on top of the flour mill, stood there, and I saw three tornadoes at once. Wow. And that rekindled the fire yeah. in my heart. 
So I knew that we had a school in Denver, Metropolitan State College at the time, that had an undergraduate's degree in applied meteorology. And I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. Hmm. And so I'd saved money. You didn't see a, a long tenure in the flower industry? I did not. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, had I stayed with ConAgra, because they are such a viable company. It probably would have been a great job. It would have been a great job, and they, they were giving us stock options yeah. and splits and everything else. So honestly, I would have made a good living doing that, but it's just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. And plus, I was still single. So I thought, I've, I've got the money. I've got uh, a place that's relatively inexpensive to live right now up in Westminster, Colorado. That's where I was living at the time. And so I'm going to go to school at okay. Metropolitan State and receive my undergraduate's degree. It took me... Uh, Three, a little bit over three years. Okay. I went round uh, all all the way around. I never took a, a break, and uh, the only course that really transferred that was a core course for my meteorology was a probability and stat course from hmm. Southwestern. Uh, all the English courses, all that yeah. stuff was already taken care of. But uh, so when I when I went to school at, at uh, Metro, it was all math and science. I mean. From the get-go, it was either meteorology or it was calculus, and you had to have prerequisites in math to get up to the next meteorology course. Okay. And so that's kind of how you stair-stepped it. But uh, graduated in May of 1992, and uh, after I received my diploma, I came down to Amarillo, and that's when I And ended. you thought, though, kind of the goal was National Weather Service. It was, absolutely. More on that side of things. My professors did not want anybody to go on TV that they taught meteorology to. They referred to us as weather weenies. Okay. If we were on TV, the reason for it, we got away from academia. We got away from the true science meteorology. Okay. And I agreed with it. I truly had not planned on being on TV for a living. My goal was to either work for the National Weather Service. Uh, a few of the guys that I went to school with ended up working for the airlines, one for Continental, mm -hmm. one for United. Uh, one for American out of Chicago at the time uh, before they uh, located down to Dallas. So I guess they located Dallas, but he was in Chicago. Um, and then we also had one that worked for NASA, and he was on the go-no-go -no -go team for the space shuttle. Wow. And that's what I wanted to do. Again, aviation was mm -hmm. kind of toward the top. I thought, can I get on with – and I thought, well, okay, weather service is still cool. I could do that uh, because we are always located at an airport, and we do terminal forecasts for pilots. Yeah. And so I'm still getting my fix with aviation – but I'm doing it through the weather service. And that's that was my game plan. Okay. Is is it still sort of is, is that does that division exist where maybe academia sees you know National Weather Service meteorology mm -hmm. or NASA meteorology right. as a little more serious than the television it meteorologists? Even does. though the TV guys like they're as public facing as anybody. Absolutely. Um, and no, there's that stigma. It's yeah, still there. but there's a stigma attached. There is. From that side. And, and, and part of it is our fault because a news director, mm -hmm. now, I mean, I've got the best news director in town. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, in other stations and larger markets, we'll see somebody that has a good rapport with the audience. Right. And they need somebody on that weather desk. And so they train that person. They may have a true blue met working behind the scenes. Okay. But it's the person that people trust. And that's what happened up in Denver. A uh, good case in point, it used to be the NBC affiliate up there, now it's CBS, it's KCNC. And their chief, quote-unquote, meteorologist, his name was Larry Green. I think he's still alive. Uh, he is, he's retired, but he was a reporter, had received his uh, degree through, I think, Arizona State University, mm -hmm. and was working in Denver. But people had such a they, – they loved him. Yeah. Uh, he had such a great report with the audience that they ended up putting him as the chief and called him a meteorologist. And that's what was grating on the nerves okay. of the of the the doctors there at the school, uh, the professors, was he was not a met. Hmm. And and you know, I and I I must admit, there's there's there is uh, pride with getting a degree in meteorology because it is so math driven. It's an earth science. You, you'll have a math minor before you're done. There's nothing easy about it. If you love it, it makes it easier to get through it, but it's really a tough thing yeah. to get through. Now, for me, I know you're you're great at what you do, and, and you're, a, I think, a, can I say this, ghost writer? I'm a ghost. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. People you do all that. You, you, I, I could not do that. I wouldn't even know how to do that, and... But for the working with numbers and meteorology, that just that's just second nature to me. I've always been really interested in uh, in the the side of your job in that it does require all that math and numbers focus, and it mm -hmm. requires all that education and a lot of computer you know familiarity. Right. But then you've got to go on TV in front of a camera, 
And that's also like almost a performance. It, it, is. it requires a creativity and public speaking and quickness verbally. <laughs> and so those two packages don't always occur in the same people. You know, right. all of us know people who are so good at math, but they don't <laughs> communicate very well. No, they don't. Or great talkers, but you don't mm -hmm. want them, you know, doing right. being your bookkeeper <laughs> or something like that. And you've got to have both of those to do what you do. And and fortunately for me that has worked mm -hmm. um, because I yeah I'm, I'm honestly I'm a very introverted person by nature. I will talk and I love talking to kids and I will talk to groups and that doesn't bother me when I get out there and talk about weather. I'll talk your ear off. Right. But you put me out there doing something different from weather. As my wife said, John, you're very one dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I, I I do get a little bit. Little stage fright, mm -hmm. but uh, as far as weather's concerned, no, I, I feel very confident what I'm saying, and uh, the you know the science behind it. So it's easy to talk about it and to talk to the level whomever I'm speaking with, kids or adults or civic groups, and bring it up to that level. It's always been a lot of fun. So I'm I'm blessed with the idea that I am able to have a fairly deep speaking voice mm -hmm. uh, and not afraid to get in front of a camera and talk. Um, but then also be able to do the math. In fact, when, when I went out to Channel 10 years ago in 1992, I actually was a walk-on. I just waited for Doppler Dave to, to show yeah. up, and then I went back there and talked to him, and, and he said, you know, I've got a couple of days open. I could use somebody, and I was freshly minted with my new undergraduate's mm -hmm. degree in meteorology, and he said, you know, he, he kind of sat back in his chair and he said, you know, you're, you're about as ugly as I am, but you have a fairly deep speaking voice, so maybe it'll work out. <laughs> people people can get over that. <laughs> so anyway, that's how it all started. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that transition from KFDA right. to KAMR, because yes. that doesn't happen very often in this area. It does not. If you get to know somebody on a newscast mm -hmm. and then they disappear, mm -hmm. it's because they've gone to another market. Right. You made a lateral change because you had been, what, like the weekend Guy, we, I did the KFDA? morning. I did the morning and the weekend. I okay. would do uh, Wednesday through Friday on mornings, and then I do the weekend. Okay, and, and then you did that for several years until the opening yeah. happened at KMR. Yeah. So I, I want to hear about the thinking there and, okay. and making that transition. Okay, well, I I, I was the uh, weekday morning met or the morning met and weekend met at Channel Ten for sixteen and a half years. Okay. It just so happened I had finished my morning shift, and I had gone home for the day. I, and, and at Channel 10, they had a noon show. So after I did the morning, then I had to wait around to do the noon, so it was early afternoon. And I'm there at the house, and uh, I get a phone call. And it's from Andy Justice. Okay. And Andy says, John. He said, this is Andy Justice. And Andy and I had played golf once or twice uh, a few years earlier. And he said, uh, how happy you're at Channel 10. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember everything now. It's been so many years ago. It's been 15 years ago since we had this conversation. And I said, oh, well, I'm doing okay. I'm the morning guy, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. Still like my job. I love weather. It's mm -hmm. a passion. And he said, well, we're looking for a chief meteorologist. Would you be interested in maybe talking to our general manager and seeing if this would be the right fit for you? And I said, Okay, I can. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's how it all happened. So uh, basically, to make a long story short, I started having a few secret meetings with, at the time, Mark McKay was the general manager at KMR Local 4, and we met at La Paloma Golf Course. He, was right. a, he loved golf, and that's where we, we, we talked, and he told me what their ideas were and what they were looking for. And I said, you know, I, I, I like that. I, I think this is something that I would really like to do. And I said... I've got a lot of respect for, for Dave Oliver. Dave and I have always been mm -hmm. really good friends. I said, would you be okay if I were to go ahead and tell him that I'm going to be taking this job? And this is we're still talking weeks before I ever yeah. step into Channel 4. And, and that's probably something I you wouldn't do because if you're leaving a company and going to a new company, you want to keep it as secret as possible. But my contract was coming up in August of uh, 2008. And uh, so... Um, I went to Dave Oliver, and we were talking at his house. And I said, Dave, I said, you know, I've got this opportunity. I'm going to go over to Channel 4 and become their chief. I said, How, what do you think? And he just looked at me, and he's, he's, Dave's deadpan look on his face. He said, well, Big John, you know I'm the weeknight guy, and you're my morning guy, and you and I are the same age. When I retire, you retire. So you're basically in a dead-end job as my morning guy. He said, I'd take it. 
<laughs> and so I got his good graces, his blessings, and then that's really all I wanted because it's like I don't want to because he was a good friend. You, but you had become a direct competitor I had. to him. I mean, like he would have known that too. Exactly. This is the guy that I've, you yeah. know, th- we've worked alongside for a long time, and now right. he's going to be competing against me exactly. for, for eyeballs. Exactly. Uh, now, one thing in all of our contracts, we have non-competes. Mm-hmm. Now, back then it was a six-month. I think now it's a year. And so um, I couldn't do anything for six months per se, but we were kind of in that transition where we were starting to add online stuff to our newscast. Uh, Facebook wasn't there yet. I think it was MySpace or something like that. And so we didn't have have Facebook, and so you didn't have all these social medias yet. Um, So my old general manager at uh, KFDA, which he now works for NextStar, his name's Mike Lee, down in Waco, mm-hmm. uh, he never put in my contract that I couldn't do anything online. So first thing I did, by the time we got to 2008, we were doing on uh, online weather. Yeah. And so the first thing I did when I got over to Channel 4, even though I couldn't be on TV or radio, I did start but on the internet. you could be on the weather. Yeah. So uh, and it, it, it was kind of funny because they were making such a big deal of it at Channel 4 with wait for the change. It's going to be yeah. here in, yeah. in 2009 in February. And I'm thinking, oh, they're making all this fuss about me. To me, that was embarrassing. I enjoyed it, and I was flattered by it, Mm -hmm. but I was embarrassed by it because I always considered myself just somebody that liked to do weather. Yeah. And this was a passion. And if you love to watch me, I appreciate it. If you didn't, that's okay, too. But um, anyway, so as we were making our way through the fall months of 2008, um, I think it was the first night of NBC football on, on Sunday night, and they put a silhouette of me up there. And that crossed the line with Channel 10. Oh, yeah? And I received a certified letter from lawyers. Okay. <laughs> Season to assist. Season to assist. And, uh, yeah, there there was, uh, I know there was some payment involved. Anyway, okay. But that was how my... Yeah. Complications that complications. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't want to know about. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, uh, we get on air. And, uh, you know, I, I put my team together. Uh, Chris Martin was my mm-hmm. weekend guy. He was a Texas A&M grad. I had a young lady from University of Miami. Uh, her name was uh, Brianne Winkler, okay. and she became my morning mat, and uh, everything worked out good. Uh, Roy McCoy came back to help me out yeah. in my non-compete, and uh, that worked out really good for me because I actually learned some things from Roy, um, some things that uh, I, I honestly used in my forecasting on a day-to-day basis, <laughs> and other things I wouldn't tell a soul about. Right. <laughs> But uh, secrets, Roy, secrets, secrets of the trade, secrets of the trade. But uh, it was so nice to be able to meet Roy. And he was, you know, we built his show for him. And mm-hmm. that was his condition. That was basically his condition to come out and work for Channel 4 was if we just build a show for him where he could just come in and do it. And we yeah. did. We produced it for him and, and it worked out great. I think what's u- unique about your career, at least locally, is that you spent 16 years as the weekend and morning right. weather guy. Right. When this is an industry that churns, you know, personalities so quickly. Yes. And so I don't think you've had a weekend person for 16 years. <laughs> no. You know, Chris Martin was there for a long time, but then right. he moved on. He moved on. Um, yeah. And and so the the local viewership knew you because you'd been doing your thing as a weekend mm-hmm. guy for so long. Right. Um, that that part of the transition is is also, I think, a little rare. That's you, you didn't move you didn't move on. It I didn't and, and the main reason for it was my wife mm-hmm. was from Amarillo. So uh she was from River Road. That's where she grew up. And uh we started dating back in uh nineteen ninety eight and just hit it off. And she wanted to stay locally because she had uh, a couple sisters and a brother here. And nobody was beating down the door to have me do a job where uh, elsewhere. Now, we were involved. We call them headhunters. Mm-hmm. And there there was a place out of Dallas that was actually, they said there was a couple of opportunities where I could go in to a much larger market. And at the time, Chris and I were, were you know, we were going forward with our relationship, madly in love, and she didn't want to leave. And uh, my mom and dad were still here at the time. Yeah. In fact, my mother and dad are still here right now. Uh, and so it's like I have this family here already. I have my wife, and I have my mother and dad. I have relatives around here, uh, cousins and whatnot. So I think one thing led to another. Yeah. And, and then also it's basically I got to the point where the weather service just that went to the wayside, and I thought, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do for 
you know, for the rest of my life, which is okay because it's my passion. Yeah. Well, I and it's still weather. an interesting place to do weather. I've always thought mm-hmm. it was weird the people that start here and then move on to do weather in San Diego or someplace. And I'm just like, yeah. well, okay, you know, well, you, can, you can phone it in there. Yeah, you can. But here you, you got to be a little more precise with stuff. You can. And well, and they referred to Amarillo as a starter market. Mm-hmm. And so for the reporters, for sure, you basically decide if you want to do this for your the rest of your life. And if you do, then you'll move on to a larger market. Uh, and a lot of times with the meteorologists that we hire, they're from different places and they want to get back closer to home. Uh, for example, I had Brittany Trumpy. Uh, mm-hmm. She is from New Jersey. Uh, fortunately, Nexstar is such a huge corporation. We have stations of all market sizes all over the United States. And so as long as she stays within the company, they right. don't break their contract. And so she wanted to get back closer to uh, New Jersey. So she ended up out in, uh, oh, where was it? Uh, out North Carolina and then ended up in Providence, uh, Rhode Island okay. next. So uh, same thing happened with uh, Corey Sima. He was uh, my week, my morning guy and then my weekend guy. And uh, he ended up out in Jacksonville, Florida. We had uh, Brianne and she ended up out in California. Now she went with a different company, but uh, she was done with her contract. And so that's basically what goes on. We had Nick Lilly went down to uh, Mississippi. Yeah. Um, but some of those places were not next door at the time. Okay. But they just were not from this part of the country. Nick was from Oregon. Brittany was from New Jersey. Uh, Corey was from uh, Perkins, Oklahoma, which is too far from Oklahoma City. He stayed here the longest, which was great. Um, and so really, Chris Martin was my only local guy. And, and that's what I was really after because I knew how it worked with Dave and I. Mm-hmm. And it was the right combination because if you have somebody working here long enough, people get used to you, of course, and you build that audience, and they will just automatically go to your station each day. Before we talk much about weather, which I, I want to talk about in a minute, but <laughs> since you've worked at KFDA and KMR, which uh-huh. are both really competitive stations. They are. Uh, and and I don't want to like trash anybody, but I do want to know like, do the different stations have different personalities? Like, well, they do. Did, is is there a different, I don't know, culture or feel or something doing what you did there versus how it goes at KMR? Well, it was kind of like a wholesale change for me because when I left Channel Ten, they were still uh, owned by family out of uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. the Drury's. They owned uh, Channel Ten. They owned a station in Midland. They owned a station in Wichita Falls in Lawton and in Waco. Um, when I moved to Channel 4, Nexstar had just bought out Quorum. And Nexstar was still a small corporation. They're, they're headquartered out of Irving, Texas. They only had 3,700 employees when I moved in. But then they acquired these other station, or these other companies, including the, the Tribune Company. And now we have well over 20,000 employees wow, working okay. there. And so it's, uh, they have grown leaps and bounds yeah, since I've been It's a publicly there. traded company. Absolutely. So, yeah. so the culture is different from a family-oriented company that owns a few stations versus a corporation. But you get used to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. And uh, we, you know, to this day, for example, about every five, six months, we have a some type of something we have to learn about or, or sign off on. And, right. it, and it's basically uh, how to treat your fellow employee and, and basically the bylaws of the company and, and uh, everything else. And so you just get you get used to it, you accept it, and you keep going. They have never come in one time and said, John, you got to do the weather this way. Right. They let me do the weather the way I want to and the way that I need to for this market. And fortunately, I have uh, Nyla Nichols, my news director, is so supportive of us and weather. She, honestly, and I'm just not saying this because I know she'll listen to this, but she is truly the best boss yeah. I've ever had because she is very much on our side. And she, she if we were a union, she would be basically uh, – <laughs> <laughs> She'd be the uh, arbitrator, I guess. Or, okay. And, and, but she was, advocating on behalf of you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I can't ask for a better boss with Nylin. Uh, Brandy Sanchez, mm-hmm. our GM, has done an outstanding job and is very fair with all of us. And and they go out of their way to make us feel like family in this corporation environment. Uh, okay, so now you look at what used to be channel the way Channel Ten was and the way Channel Four is now. Well, Channel Ten is also owned by a corporation, right? Now, by Gray. Uh, used to be Raycom. And so we're all kind of in that same boat. And so we're all learning differently now from the way it used to be. Uh, but uh, it's, it's it's fine. The other thing that is interesting to me is that, you know, the, the different networks here are so competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are 
certain demographics that watch KFDA, certain demographics that watch KMR. But my feeling is that so much of that is driven by the weather personalities uh-huh. that there are Doppler Dave people in Amarillo. Yeah. There are John Harris people in Amarillo. Uh-huh. Is, is, that, is that something that you are always mindful <laughs> of? Like, do you feel it a is. lot of pressure that if the, the network succeeds, a lot of it is how well you do <laughs> in, at your job. Well, it's, I mean, this is this, the part of the country we live in is very agriculturally driven, ranch driven, uh, producers and whatnot, uh, oil. And so they do depend on the weather for their livelihood. And so uh, fortunately for us, um, a lot of the people that watch us are rural. And so they want to know that weather. They want to know what we think is going to happen down mm-hmm. the road. And so that that is advantageous to us, and and I I love it. Now a lot of pressure, not necessarily. I feel very confident with what I'm saying on TV, mm-hmm. and I'm basically just going with the science. If the science says we're going to see a chance for rain, then I'll say that. Right now, and your science is not that different from the no. other network science. You no, know, no, you're no, using a lot of the same models and all that kind of stuff. We right? we all use the same models. Uh, the majority of us use government models, uh, and they're short range. There's medium range. There's uh, high resolution models, but they're provided by the government. And so it doesn't. You know, Dave and I are looking at the same model. For example, when we're looking at severe weather, uh, we also have some models out there that are produced by universities. Uh, but then the universities also incorporate a lot of the models again from the government that we can go to and actually you know, do our forecast from. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's that's basically available to all of us. Now, the difference now between now and when I graduated from college, uh, we were still doing it by hand analysis. <laughs> In other words, we didn't have computers to look at. Uh, the only computer I had when I was going to school up in Denver was one that showed us a satellite graphic. That was it. Uh, so everything we had was on teletype, and they were paper copies. Yeah. And uh, the weather, one thing I always like to remind people, that weather is a three-dimensional monster. What is occurring down here that affects you and I is because of what's going on at 30,000 feet above us. Because you're looking at a three-dimensional, uh, basically, fluid of air, or if you will, that doesn't make sense. But if you're looking at a volume of air that's a fluid going from point A to point B to point C to point D, those are the actual forecast stops. And what is occurring up here is going to govern what we actually witness down here on the Earth. Right. And that's what makes weather so difficult for forecasting because it's three-dimensional. It's, uh, it's, it's based on how warm it is each day because there's pressure gradients. So one day, the troposphere will be at 41,000 feet. Uh, the troposphere is the lowest level of the atmosphere where we forecast all the weather. That's what, where weather occurs. If it's a cold day, the troposphere will be at 35,000 hmm. feet. And so you have all these gas laws that are governing the weather, plus the sun, plus the pressure gradients, plus the moisture that's being entrapped that becomes the, the water vapor that becomes the rain or the snow. And so you have all of these parameters coming into play that you try to assimilate in some fashion to come up with the forecast and, and tell people about the weather. So that's that's basically what we are all doing. Uh, if you're a true meteorologist, and I say that, I say if you're, uh, how do I want to say this? Educated? If, educated. If you've got the degree. Works, if you have the degree. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's probably the good way to Not put it. Not just a guy who looks good on TV. That's right. That's right. Hey, they didn't hire me for that. <laughs> As my wife and my kids say, Dad, you got a face for radio, so, <laughs> or a podcast. But uh, we're all using the same model run. Hopefully we're all seeing the same thing because it's, you know, the models are not different. But back then we used hand analysis. So I'd use my map pencils and I would draw the fronts on and I would look ahead from the upper air charts as to when is the energy going to be over Amarillo, over our area. Uh, energy basically is cold air aloft and cold air aloft will cause the atmosphere to rise. And anytime air rises, that's when we get weather because air will naturally condense. If there's water vapor available in the atmosphere, as the air rises, it's warm, it's light, it's like a hot air balloon. As it rises, it cools and condenses, and that's when we get weather. So it's the upward vertical motion that truly causes weather. Downward vertical motion will cause sunshine, clear skies. Upward vertical motion creates clouds and rain and weather and whatnot. Which is it's what I appreciate about you. If, if I'm in studio <laughs> and I say, John, are we going to get some rain? You don't just say yes, but you start talking to me about I'm the sorry. upper vertical motion. I am you know, so sorry. Like the, but the science is, <laughs> is at the forefront of how you think about it. It is. And, and that's is. what I always leave going, I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about because he's talking about the causes <laughs> of it, not just the result of it. Yeah. Um, I'm and, a party killer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's you know, it. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you, you're not good at parties because right. nobody People wants leave. to hear about vertical lift. That's you know? right. Where they go? <laughs> um, since we're talking about those factors, uh-huh. um, 
one of the things that has been part of the weather conversation the last few months is El Nino. Right. And I know that there is some interest in that because previous El Nino cycles in Amarillo have brought a lot of snowfall. They have. And so I wonder if if you have a perspective as we're entering, I guess, that season mm-hmm. um, on whether that's going to be true again now, what, what it's looking like, what the models are showing. Okay. Well, first of all, I've been doing weather here for 31 years, very mm-hmm. blessed, very fortunate. But doing weather in one location for a long period of time is actually your friend because we use history as a guide. Because patterns in the atmosphere replicate. Uh, as long as our physics of the atmosphere don't change, mm-hmm. we, we, we have set parameters that the air above us or and around us have to follow. And it's gravity, sunshine, pressure gradients, continents versus ocean, all that governs what the weather's going to do. And so history is your friend because what I've seen in the past, I can say, aha, I remember what that did to us back then. Mm-hmm. So when I do my forecast, my forecast will be biased toward what I think it's going to do this time around. So now we get to El Nino. El Nino, by looking at history as a guide, El Ninos are good for the Texas Panhandle because they typically will give us an increased moisture supply in the way of rain and snow uh, in in a True El Nino year, it usually peaks around Christmas. That's why it's called El Nino. Uh, the, uh, the Which Peru- is Spanish for the child. The child, absolutely. And so that typically means we're going to have a snowy winter. And if not a snowy winter, really a snowy late winter, early spring. Okay. And then as we transition into the true spring season, we usually will have a really bad severe weather season. Uh, you look back at our benchmark years, 1995, that's when Pampa was hit. And okay. Friona and, and Demet, Emerald had a tornado out of on the west side of town. If Amarillo back then was as large as it is now, we'd have had a lot of damage to buildings. That's still up. the only live tornado I've ever seen was that 1995 one. Okay, yeah. Which I could see from my house. You could see from your house. Saw it drop. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and then uh, 2007, we had uh, tornadoes that hit Clovis. Uh, people were killed over there to fatalities. Beaver, Oklahoma, fatalities, Canadian, uh, cactus, Tulia. So basically where I'm going with this, typically our benchmark years for tornadoes occur after an El Nino. Okay. El Nino may be ongoing, but it's usually as the El Nino is going back to what's referred to as a neutral. You don't usually go from an El Nino to La Nina. El Nino is basically for us meaning weather and, and rain and snow to a La Nina, which is a ridge, which is nothing. You basically, it's a summer day, nothing going on. Um, you'll usually have a neutral period, which may last for months. And then you go to that next El Nino or La Nina. And so coming out of an El Nino until La Nina in the spring usually is going to give us fits with bad weather. On average, we see 21 tornadoes in the panhandle each year. We can see a lot more during an El Nino year. Uh, back in 1995, for example, uh, that's when the movie Twister was, yep. was shot. They were staying over in Oklahoma City, all of the crews and the, the actors and uh, the, the folks involved, and uh, they kept coming out to the Texas Panhandle to get their footage because we were having a benchmark year in tornadoes. And so when I'd be out storm chasing, I'd see their film crews by Pampa, hmm. by Friona, by Demet, Dalhart, wherever they were, they had their crews out here. And at that time, the government and the, and the universities in, in conjunction with each other had a scientific project going on called Vortex. And Vortex was underway at that time. And that was... The verification origin of tornadoes, something like that. And so they had Doppler on wheels out here and looking at the tornadoes and 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 looking at everything around the storm environment and peering into a tornado to see how it actually worked. And so a lot of that thought process that went into the movie Twister is because of Vortex hmm. and, and from what they were seeing. Uh, one other, uh, then I'll move on, but there was a gentleman in Pampa. I think he's still alive. His name is Ted Quillen uh, in his 90s. And in 1995, he lived on the west side of town, and he had a dog with him. He didn't. He, uh, he didn't have a wife with him. I don't believe she wasn't part of the uh, the story. But uh, he went into his shelter with the dog as the tornado approached. This was in the afternoon on June the 8th, 1995. The dog's ears started hurting, and because of the high pitched sound of the tornado, mm-hmm. so he opened up the the cellar door to let her out. He didn't see her again, but he swears that he looked up into the eye of the tornado. And so that thought process was incorporated into the end of the movie. Yeah. Where you see Helen yeah. and they're yeah. tied onto they're tied some on. sort of piping or something. Exactly. And they're looking up into the eye of the tornado. Wow. Supposedly that's <laughs> where that came from, that that thought. So anyway. So are okay, you seeing so, yeah, so all right, back now. back to El Nino. <laughs> 
Okay, so back to El Nino. We haven't seen much yet, and it's getting to the point now where we will show a chance for rain or snow in the next seven days. And I'll be on Facebook, and then all of a sudden we start pulling it back like we've done before, and people say, it's just not going to happen, is it? And I'll say, give it a chance. Hmm. And, in fact, I had a lady, I don't know who she was, but she's on my Facebook page this weekend. She said, so I guess it's not going to be cold and snowy like we thought. And I said, well, first of all, with El Nino, we typically don't get that cold. Yeah. But we do get more precipitation. And I said, still give it time. I said, we're early. And I said, typically for us, El Ninos don't really manifest themselves as far as giving us a lot of precipitation until after the new year. And so probably late February, March, and April is when we'll really start to see it become part of our weather. Hmm. Yes, there will be events between now and then. We're going to have snow. It's going to happen. Uh, I still believe it's going to happen. The science says it's going to happen. The Climate Projection uh, Center meteorologist, climatologist, they think it's going to happen. The models say it's going to happen. So we have to have faith in what we're preaching each day. Yeah. And if we're using models as our guidance, and then also our knowledge from being in one place for a long time and history as a guide, and using statistics of the climate, uh, it's going to happen. This episode of Hey Morello is supported by Blue Handle Publishing, a local publishing company that has been producing some amazing titles. One of their newest authors is Ray Franz, a former options trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and Chicago Board of Trade. Ray's knowledge and exposure to stories of the Chicago mob has brought to life his debut novel, The Heights, a work of historical organized crime fiction. It's getting great reviews. It's available now. Look for The Heights and learn more at bluehandlepublishing.com. Okay, I'm back with John Harris. John, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Okay. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum Uh uh, in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas. It's known for its educational programs, Mm -hmm. including virtual learning that brings interactive lessons into the classroom on topics including the Dust Bowl, Mm -hmm. uh, Quanta Parker, and the history of the bison, and a lot more. Uh Uh, You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. They've got... A new um, steam lab, you know, that's, oh, yes. that they're using, and you've probably I've seen actually it been a part participated of that. in some I of have. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know that uh, that's one of those places where history and science and weather and all those things, you know, have such an impact on the stories that the museum tells. Mm-hmm. They do, they do, absolutely. In fact, the wow that that I'm a part of each year, Winona Water World, it's a scientific collaborative with yeah. 16. We have it at the Panhandle Plains Historical okay. Museum. I'm in the education room, mm-hmm. which is always a fun place to be and get to talk to a lot of fifth graders. Yeah, the people love the museum and they know the museum. I don't think they realize how much educational stuff the museum does what? and how it's used by mm-hmm. um, schools and Absolutely. field tricks. And all. I, I mean, I remember going to it when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. It's a cool place. Okay, when you think about Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Well, weather-wise, I hope that uh, we will have gone through uh, 10 <laughs> consecutive El Ninos. <laughs> <laughs> 10 really rainy seasons. That's right. And it's a tropical paradise yeah. here. At least it's refilled the aquifer, right? Um, absolutely. We need it to refill uh, the Ogallala. But uh, no, hopefully uh, we're just in an average weather pattern, which means a few years of dryness, but also the rain. Be nice to have the reservoirs all filled up again. Mm-hmm. So not only for Amarillo, but for our area. And uh, uh, so weather-wise, I hope that basically is is uh, going to be a normal pattern for us again. Uh, we've been in a lot of drought lately, so let's get it back to normal. And and if again, if you use history as a guide, that's going to occur as long as something out of this world doesn't occur. Right. Which we can't really rule out. But, I mean, yeah. But the, I love the rains Amarillo. last spring. That was a little bit out of the world. So it was. It was. I love. I love Amarillo. I love everybody here. I love the the, the size of the city. Uh, I love our climate. I love the fact that we're at thirty six hundred feet above sea level. That does a number for weather. That yeah. really helps us out. Uh, so I, you know, I, I consider this home, and this is where I will retire. So okay. in ten years, I hope that it's. Pretty similar to today. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I like progress, but I also like familiarity. So. Yeah, well, it makes you good at your job, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess, yes. Okay, other than wind, uh, what does this area have too much of? Uh, blowing dust. Okay. But, of course, that's part of wind, too. The wind is, I mean, I, I say other than wind because otherwise people would always answer that question. They would, wind. wind yes. Mm-hmm. 
I want to hear your perspective on wind, though, because okay. it is part of the weather system, oh, yes. it, or it is an effect of the weather systems. And Absolutely. so you, you've got more knowledge of it other than just being annoyed by it. A lot of times people ask, why is it so windy out mm-hmm. here? Well, again, it has to do with the fact that we're 3,600 feet above sea level. We are in a steppe climate, which is one step away from being a desert, meaning we don't have much vegetation. There's a reason why Amarillo is called Amarillo, the yellow city. Mm-hmm. And the vegetation or the lack of it will allow the wind to blow. Uh, we basically are also caught between high pressure centers and low pressure centers. Uh, we will typically have lows that are over the Rocky Mountains. We'll have highs to the east of us. Mother Nature is always trying to balance out weather patterns. That's the reason we have weather is Mother Nature is trying to balance it all out. Right. And so what she will do is send wind basically from a high to low to balance it out so the low the air is, flows the air flows from, from those from, two yeah and so the byproduct from the the motion of mass from the high to the low is wind we're in the way because we're 3600 feet above okay. the sea that has a lot to do with why we get so much wind out here we also have the fact that we have the rockies only 200 miles west of us uh because our weather patterns travel typically from west to east over the mountains and because of the physics of the atmosphere, on the east side of the mountains, we call this a trough of low pressure that will develop. It's a semi-permanent entity we have out here. And one thing Mother Nature tries to do, if there is a void in air anywhere, whether it's at the surface, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, she will always try to fill it with air around. And so what she does is we get a void on the east side of the Rockies, and so air downslopes into it so that void can be filled and that will accelerate the wind over the pan okay so that's a long that, way to get to the why it gets so windy and, yeah and, and like but there's I, a science behind it there's a science behind it and like i tell people in this part of the world as the wind blows the temperature goes mm-hmm. it can be in the middle of january we get a west wind we're going to warm up because mm-hmm. of downslope we get a southeast wind we're going to be humid we get an east wind we're going to have upslope that means overcast conditions we get a north wind that means the door is open to canada yeah so there you go okay <laughs> what does this area not have enough of Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, I guess on the other side of the coin, it would be nice to have more lakes. Mm -hmm. It would be nice to have more vegetation. Uh, But then again, you're getting away from the desert climate that you're part of. So you're you're basically creating the climate change by... By saying this, by changing our, by changing this, our but uh, I, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily to, I, I'm not that crazy about having a whole lot more people move to this area. Okay, uh, I th- I think the the numbers we have right now are great, but uh, by the same token, I understand to keep a city viable, you have to have that happen. Yeah, you know, I'm speaking of if you're people, not growing, you're right, very slowly dying. Right? So I exactly. So I'm speaking of people moving from like Dallas to Amarillo mm-hmm. or people from Oklahoma City moving to Amarillo. That's that's what I'm referencing here, um, or Denver to Amarillo or whatever the case may be. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like like it the way it is right now. Okay. What's one local nonprofit you personally appreciate? I have a lot of them. I did a lot of work for the United Way mm-hmm. back in the 90s, uh, alone executive. So uh, it was fun, a lot of fun working for the United Way. But for me, uh, and I'm, I'm always thinking STEM or STEAM right. and uh, the Texas Space and Air Museum. Okay. That is a nonprofit, believe it or not. Yeah. And I do, I think that is, that is something we need here because if you look at the history of Amarillo and if you look at uh, Amarillo Air Force Base, that's where Amarillo National Airport is now. And we used to be a, a alternate site for the the shuttle because right. of the long runway, right. um, and we also have aviation businesses out there that United and American fly into to you know, repaint their aircraft and whatnot. So aviation is very important yeah. to us out here. I enjoy. I always look around when I'm taking off from the airport or landing there uh-huh. because occasionally you do see some you like. Do out-of-place aircraft. You're like, what is that thing, and why is it here? (laughs) That should be it. That should be at Area 51, shouldn't it? Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Um, Okay, what's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I think our weather, our sunsets, our beautiful weather that we have, yes, we do get a lot of wind. Uh, To me, it's not really windy until we have sustained winds over 20. So a 5 to 15-mile-per-hour wind is very normal, and you just although that's a it. windy day in some places. It is. They'll be like, oh, it the wind's going to blow today. It's yeah. going to be twelve miles an hour. We're just like, well, that's a still day. Exactly. Here. That exactly. So the weather, I think, is perfect. I love it because with the fact that we do live at thirty six hundred feet, we don't have as much water vapor in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That means that in the summertime. We get hot in the summer in the day, but then once the sun sets, the atmosphere cools down. Right. Humidity will trap heat, and it's a good insulator of heat. Uh, that's why you go down the state, and at 10 o'clock at night, it's still 102 degrees yeah. in Dallas and Fort Worth, and it's because of the humidity. 
Here, we don't have that much humidity, so once the sun sets, the heat that was in the soils is released to space very quickly, and it cools down. So you have this wide diurnal range in temperatures, but it gives us a very nice climate to live in. So we are truly a desert climate, like a Phoenix or an Albuquerque or a Tucson or even a Santa Fe to a point, uh, Denver. Uh, we get warm in the day, but we do cool down at night. And I think that's very neat. Also with the fact that I love astronomy. Uh, that mm -hmm. is my hobby. If some people are going to golf when they retire. I'm going to be looking up the stars. I do it right now all the time. No, yeah, you post photos of Saturn and stuff I, that you I, take. Right? And, and the reason why it's Saturn and Jupiter right now is because Because those are even, visible. Yeah, they're visible right now. Six months now, I'll, I'll be, where are they? Yeah. <laughs> With less water vapor, you don't have as many clouds, and so you have a you, you can see space for as far as the eye can see as long as you're out of town. So for me, it's, it's personal. I love the, the idea that we just don't have the humidity because at night when there's humidity in the air and the atmosphere cools, it will naturally give you a deck of clouds because the air cools and condensates. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to happen or you'll get fog. And so it's nice to, to have that low humidity. Okay. What's your most memorable panhandle weather event or Which one? story? Yeah. I, I know you <laughs> have like uh, an entire deck of them, I'm sure. But is is there one that yeah I don't know that that stands out to you? Well, it's it's one of the more recent ones, and it, it's actually got a little bit of a funny twist to it. But this actually occurred in 2013 on May the 28th. It was the day after Memorial Day, mm -hmm. and uh, we were watching a thunderstorm develop over Friona, and so this was on a Tuesday, and it's severe. As it marches to the north toward Adrian, it's dropping a tornado about every 20 minutes. Otherwise, it's a hail producer. So it's going from hail producing to dropping a tornado, hail producing to a, a rotation. And so it gets up to Vega, and now we're at about 10 o'clock. So I go on TV, and now it's making a right-hand turn down I-40 coming toward Amarillo. So I'm on TV, and this is, this is in June, and uh, or excuse me, in May. And so I'm talking to the audience, and I said, you know, We've got some bad weather headed our way tonight. See this thunderstorm that's out over Vega? It's actually moving to the east. And let me give you a little bit of history on it. About every 20 minutes or so, it seems to be producing rotation. One time it may drop a funnel. One time it may be just rotation or it drops a tornado. And then it becomes a hail producer again. And I said, there's no signs this is going to fall apart before it hits Amarillo. Tonight's one of those nights you probably want to stay awake. Mm -hmm. Call your mom and dad. Call, call your neighbors if you know they're getting to bed early, uh, you know, to me 10 o'clock early. Uh, you might tell them to stay awake because this is going to be a dangerous storm. So, well, so this thunderstorm is making its way toward Amarillo. It does drop a tornado south of Bushland. It goes back up. It's coming in Amarillo. It starts another rotation out at 45th and Sonsi. Now we're getting close to my house yeah. and close to your house. Yep. And we know that the funnel cloud was 80% down to the ground. It never did actually touch the ground that we are aware of. Uh, sirens are sounding in Amarillo. Now we're, we're into maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. So it's marching down toward downtown. And Weather Service puts out another tornado warning. Rotation right over the interchange. And so that puts it just south of yeah. the Kmart Local 4 building. And you can actually hear the sound of the wind. You know, you hear that sound, or you hear people say it sounds like a freight train. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a freight train. It. Uh, I know you've been in our building down there. We have a lot of windows on that southwest corner. And hailstones were being thrown horizontally into the windows. Uh, they were quarter to golf ball to yeah. larger. And that circulation's coming over. So I'm on air nonstop. Okay, so I've got a mic on. I'm doing a, vo a voiceover is what we call it. You know what that is, of course. And so you see the radar graphic, and you see I'm manipulating the mouse. So you see the arrow uh, showing the thunderstorm, the rotation, the hail, the size of the hail, the amount of rain falling. And I'm talking, and I mention that we have rotation being spotted on the Amarillo Interchange, uh, I-40 and I-27, just blocks to the... Just like a quarter mile from your studio. Yeah, exactly. Studio. About that time, news director Nolan Nichols opens the door to the station. Uh, it's, it's different now than it was back then. Yeah. But opened a sliding door into the uh, weather uh, part. She said, John, we're going to the shelter right now. So I'm all mic'd up. I'm running down the hallway with Nylin. I said, Nylin, where is the storm shelter? <laughs> she said, it's the men's restroom. <laughs> so I turn the corner. We open the door. I get in there, and everybody else is already in there. Jackie Kingston, Annie Justice, Kelly James. Okay. Aaron Langston. He's our assistant uh, news director. Uh, all the other folks that you've seen at that station are huddled in the men's restroom. There's probably 15 of us in there. 
And I'm in there with my iPhone. Chris Martin had come out to help me. Mm-hmm. And so Chris is on his iPhone. And so I continued to broadcast from the men's from restroom. From the restroom. Well, the next morning, by the way, uh, the funnel cloud went up. It didn't do any damage. It did drop a tornado east of Airmill. Mm-hmm. It did give us some large hail, but that was it. Uh, next morning, I was on the Today Show with Al Roker. Oh, okay. Uh, Al Roker has a picture of me standing there, and you can see it on the web, and talks about me being in the uh, men's restroom broadcasting the weather. And then the producer for NBC Nightly News calls me. Uh, Brian Williams was their main anchor at that time, and so I was on the NBC Nightly News. And I tell the story, I finally make it on national news, yeah. and they catch me in the men's restroom. That's that's a good story. I So I, I very much remember that. Um, that I didn't live at this house, but I lived uh, at another house, and we didn't have a basement. So I had spent that evening, my, me and my family, at my brother's house in uh-huh. their basement. Mm-hmm. Uh, my car got destroyed oh, uh, by, by hail in that hail. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That was totaled, but like we saw, we're watching the moment when you're like, it's right above the station. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody take shelter. <laughs> yes. And you weren't talking to the viewers, you were talking to the I people was. in the studio. I did, you. absolutely. And I so did. I was like, okay, this is real serious. Um, yeah, I, I remember that story. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, okay, what's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? Oh my goodness! I tell you what, I I've, I've been to a few food trucks. Uh, we've had them actually come to the TV yeah. station. They're very good, but uh, I'll, I'll stick with the restaurant because I don't want to say the wrong name here. But uh, I, I I love Mexican food, mm-hmm. and I can't go wrong with the Boilos. I still okay. love. I know it's not a family owned restaurant here in town, but it's it's a good restaurant. No, but it's too. a chain that started in Amarillo. See, I didn't know which that. a lot of people don't know. Like, I think the very first Abuelos was here, and then it's oh, like franchised and moved around. So I feel so much. Yeah, so it's, so it's it's got a local tie. Okay. When was the last time you visited Paladuro Canyon? Saturday a week ago. Okay. And so recently, a nice was, fall visit. Then it was. Uh, my dad actually wanted to go down there and see it. He hadn't been down there in a long time, and so he's he's ninety years old and. So we just drove the pickup down, and we okay. didn't get out and you do much. You didn't hike him to the lighthouse no. or anything? <laughs> I asked him if he wanted to go. He said no. Uh, but we, uh, my, my youngest son uh, was with us, and so we drove down there and went through the canyon. One thing I was surprised about, there was a lot of people there on Saturday. I knew there would be, but I mean, every pull-off, there was people. And uh, people hiking, which is so great. Mm-hmm. I mean, but uh, it was just filled with people. And, but it was still a lot of fun and still a beautiful place, and uh uh, you know, most of the time when I go down to the canyon, it's for 24 hours in the canyon. Right. And so the last time I was there was actually in June of 2022 because I had to cancel this year. Yeah, they didn't do it this year. The flooding. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Well, we would like for them to watch KMR Local 4. I feel like I work with the best people in the industry. I yeah. honestly do. I love working with Jackie and Andy and Clint. Uh, we've been together for a long time now, so we're like brothers and sisters. Uh, we are family. We do squabble from time to time, but normally not. Uh, usually I'm right. Uh, but uh, yeah. Clearly. You've been there the longest Absolutely. Time. Absolutely. But no. And, and by the way, a shout out to Andy. He's been on air for 26 That's years true. now with just KMR, which is cool in its own yeah. right. I've been on 30 year, 31 years, but I, I had to change stations to do that. It was my, I, I would, anyway. Yeah, you ended up where you needed to be. Though. Right, I did. But uh, no camera is a, is a they, we put out a good product. Uh, I think we have good personnel all the way around from our morning show to our, to the Fox side, of course, to mm-hmm. NBC. And so we invite people to tune in and watch us. And, uh, you know, I think you'll like what you see. If you haven't watched KMR for a long time, uh, give us a try. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and I, I can say with the podcast, KMR has been such a good partner for me yeah. and letting me come on and talk every week. And uh, so that's it's obviously it's a station that I turn to. So I I think its personality matches up well with the personality of this show. And so it's a good fit. So. Absolutely. And Studio 4. Studio I mean, 4. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice variety show. It, mm-hmm. it, it's all the local goings on here, and it's a lot of fun to listen to. I, I sit in my corner. You see that. Yeah. And, and I have my back to everything going on, but I'm hearing everything going on, and it's very interesting to yeah. me. And so I think that was a great idea that uh, Mark McKay actually came up with back in uh, 2010 yeah, uh, to start Studio 4. It's a fun show. So it I, really is. Yeah. I appreciate getting to be part of it. Well, John, thanks for being on the podcast. I well, thank you, it. sir. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, even though I see you each Thursday, and, and I love all your other podcasts, and I usually will ask Jason, 
So who are you talking to? Who's this on the way? show? This yeah, week. who's on the? And and it's always so fascinating. So I'm glad that I could help you out in a slow time, so that uh, you could <laughs> fill a <laughs> fill a spot. But uh, no, you do such an awesome job, and and uh, it's it's just it's always a lot of fun seeing you and 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 hearing you talk about uh, the the people that you have on, and and it's so interesting the people that you've had on your 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 podcast really it's it's like wow that's so cool. So, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show, then. Thank you, sir. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to John for the interview. You can watch him all the time, pretty much, on KMR Local 4 News or on Fox 14 News. Thanks also to Blue Handle Publishing and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the podcast and to Angelina Marie for editing the show. And thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Wes Reeves, Josh Wood, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 330. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.